Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. Breaking news for Ontario restaurants and bars. The Blue Jays have made the pandemic playoffs. And do you have adjustment disorder? It could give you a positive COVID test result. All that is coming up. Let's get to it. It has been a difficult week on the COVID-19 front. So let's begin with the best news, which is it is indeed Friday and the forecast for the weekend looks absolutely glorious. Uh, no reason not be, to be able to get outside and enjoy it because I think, you know, in all of our minds, in the back of our minds, we're looking at the calendar thinking, well, we're not going to get many more weekends like this. This may be the last one as fall starts to move in and it gets colder. So get out there and enjoy it, but remain safe and keep those physical distancing guidelines in mind because, as I said, it has been a hard week and today the numbers continue to be difficult. 409, again, above the 400 number in Ontario, 409 cases. You heard in the news uh, Danny Longo talking about the test number, 41,800. Now, that is a record, and that is reason for celebration. But this is the bigger concern, especially for me, as you look at that pending number. So the pending number, 65,200 cases still pending. Tests, pardon me, tests still pending. So the backlog is considerable. And obviously, the big announcement from the Ford government uh, this week about the expansion to pharmacies and that going into effect today. We're going to check in on that in just a moment. Uh, but before we get uh, too far into this, I, I want to mention that the Prime Minister is making a return to the health table, uh, and this apparently is the beginning of the Prime Minister again taking part in daily briefings. He's part of the briefing with uh, Dr. Tam today. This, I think, a push from the government, both in a political aspect and also just from a management of the, of the pandemic. This is an attempt to raise his profile and also just put it on the radar of all Canadians that it is very serious, w the situation we're in right now. Here are is the Prime Minister and his prepared remarks this morning. Right from the start of the pandemic, our government's top priority has been to keep Canadians safe from COVID-19. As we laid out in the throne speech on Wednesday, protecting people will continue to be job one as we move forward. And one of the best ways to do that is with a safe and effective vaccine. Our government has already invested in a strategy for increased screening and support for vaccine research and clinical trials. We've been guided by science since the very beginning. And right now, both the COVID-19 Vaccine Task Force and the Immunity Task Force are doing important work to help us identify the most promising vaccine options and strategies. Last month, I announced that the Government of Canada had signed agreements with Novavax and Johnson & Johnson to secure millions of doses of the vaccines they are developing. We've also secured agreements with Pfizer and Moderna. And earlier this week, Minister Anand announced that the Government of Canada has now also signed agreements with Sanofi and with GlaxoSmithKline to secure up to 72 million doses of their COVID-19 vaccine candidate. Breaking well, here, that is uh, the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, speaking this afternoon in Ottawa as he outlines the... Um, been maneuvering by the federal government to try and put Canada 
in place for a potential vaccine, you know, ordering vaccines, doses in advance of vaccines actually being developed and approved. So, you know, that that all sounds great, but in the short term, it really doesn't do anything. What what does do something in the short term is your behavior and your behavior this weekend. Because it is a two-week lag time. Remember this, folks. So when you see that number, that number is what happened two weeks ago. And so if two weeks from now, you know, when we're into the week after Thanksgiving, you know, if, if we want, and as the Prime Minister has said, Thanksgiving is unlikely, you know, but if we want a shot at Christmas, then what we're doing right now makes all the difference. Let's get back to that uh, testing lag number. And I talked about it. I'll give you that number again. There are 65,000 tests pending in the province of Ontario. 41,800 were actually processed, but that pending number and the difference between those two numbers continues to increase all week long. We have watched it get wider and wider. And what that means is that people are waiting longer to get their test results in many cases. And that is a huge problem. And that is why the province announced yesterday, finally, finally announced yesterday, that they are changing the testing protocols. No more of this. Anybody wants a test, go get a test. We have known for weeks that that is not a smart idea to be saying that. We saw the lines get longer and longer and longer. We listened to the health experts say over and over and over again, saying we have to triage these tests. We can't send everybody to the assessment centers. Look at the lineups. Here's Doug Ford yesterday talking about the new guideline. We have to focus on the people that need a test because of their jobs or if they've been around someone that uh, tested positive. Um, that Those are the people we want to focus on, and it's going to take a big relief off the, the public system. That is Doug Ford talking about the new testing guidelines. Of course, today pharmacies now are open up to 60. Tough to know exactly how many pharmacies are actually working and able to process or administer any kind of test. Remember that you have to have an appointment. Don't just show up at your local shoppers coughing and wheezing saying, I think we, I think I need a test. First of all, you're symptomatic. You're not supposed to go to the, the pharmacies. That If you're symptomatic, you got to go to the assessment centers. And secondly, you need an appointment. So just don't roll up to the local pharmacy wondering, you know, where's my test? Because that's not the way it works. But we continue to be a step behind on that, as I point out. The calls have been going out for some time that we needed to change the criteria for testing. No more of this, everybody wants a test, gets a test. So we're late to the game on that. And that's going to be cold comfort for those parents who've stood in line for hours and hours and hours with their kids because their kids have had a snotty nose or a sniffly nose and have been sent home and said, you know, you can't bring your kid back to school until you get a a negative test for COVID. So we're a step behind on that. Are we a step behind also on the ratcheting down of various businesses to try and eliminate congregate settings. A group of doctors in this province, prominent doctors, calling on the Ford government to do precisely that, to restrict non-essential businesses. 
Here's one of the doctors behind that push, infectious disease physician Dr. Andrew Morris. Any large degree of gathering puts tremendous strain on our system. It does that in two ways. It increases the likelihood that you're going to be exposed to somebody who has an infection. Obviously, if you're interacting with one person, you have a pretty low likelihood of being exposed to someone who's infected. But if you're exposed to 50 people, that risk increases substantially. But on top of that, it puts a tremendous strain on the public health system as well. And what we really want to do is at least try and prioritize those to the things we value most. That is Dr. Andrew Morris and that group calling on the premier to stop in restaurant dining, to close down all kinds of things, including, and this one stuck out to me, gyms. I don't know how you feel about the gym. I've enjoyed being able to go back to the gym. But, truth be told, I could use an excuse not to have to go. So if they need to be shut down, so be it. Here is the reaction from Doug Ford when asked about this call from these physicians to start closing things down. Here's Doug Ford. I will listen to our health experts, and uh, that's who I'm going to go with the advice from. And it's not just one person. It's numerous uh, doctors, uh, health experts right across this, this province that are giving us the advice, epidemiologists and other experts. So that's who I'm going to listen to. That is Doug Ford. Pick a doctor, any doctor. Which doctor do you like? You like the doctor that says shut it down? Or you like the doctor that says, no, the economy is more important, we've got to keep it open? Which doctor do you like? Pick a doctor. Hey, speaking of doctors, have you noticed this? Where's Dr. David Williams? Where'd he go? Doug Ford, all he hears is crickets from Health Canada. All I'm hearing from Dr. Williams, Dr. Will, not there this week at all. Barbara Yaffe taking the lead on some of the most significant announcements in this province since the beginning of the pandemic. Now, I don't want to draw too many conclusions here because Dr. Williams is mentioned in Several of the releases from public health, for example, when they said we're going to change this sort of things, we're going to say in conjunction with, and his name's right right in there. But he's not in front of the cameras. And he's not taking questions. Why is that? Hmm. Is it because nobody understands a word the man says? Is that possibly it? Is it the fact that Dr. Yaffe is able to answer a question in a way that generally makes sense and I can understand? Maybe. That's something to keep your eye on. Wow, big breaking news just coming right in. Just as I finish my rant about is the government one step behind on closing down portions of the economy. You may have heard in the last segment I talked about it. A bunch of doctors have called on the government to do precisely that. Yesterday, the Doug, the Doug, rather, the Premier, pardon me, Doug Ford, was asked about it, said, hey, I'm just uh, taking the advice of the medical officials. Well, obviously, the medical officials that he talked to must have heard the call because this has just come in. New restrictions imposed in Ontario. I'll read this to you. Additional measures 
bars and other food and drink establishments must now prohibit the sale of alcohol after 11 p.m., prohibit the consumption of alcohol on the premises after midnight, and be closed between midnight and 5 a.m., except for takeout or delivery. All strip clubs must close. This is effective midnight tonight. All strip clubs to be closed. And all restaurants and bars must curtail their hours. This is not as far as some doctors were calling. Some doctors were calling for the government to do things like shut down gyms, for example. That is not in here. That has just come out. That has just been released now by the Ministry of Health. And, of course, Doug Ford and Christine Elliott will be speaking at 1 p.m. today, and we'll bring that to you and give you those details. So some new changes here in Ontario as we try and clamp down, and you look at that number again, 409. Another day, over 400. Uh, In other news, uh, this was an interesting court case and a court challenge, and there's been a ruling this morning, and it has a real impact if you spend any time out of the country. Uh, Let's go back to uh, last May, and that was when the health minister, Christine Elliott, announced that the Ontario government was going to eliminate basic out-of-country travel insurance. And it followed, this announcement followed a six-day public consultation, and that insurance covered out-of-country inpatient services up to 400 bucks a day for higher levels of care, up to 50 bucks a day for emergency outpatient services. And the province claimed, what the province said was, you know, we pay out about $9 bucks in claim payments every year through this. And it costs the province just under $3 million to even just administer that. And so the government said this is not a service, not something that the government should provide. It doesn't make sense. You can get it through either a private insurance or through your work or some other way. Well, the divisional court has now unanimously ruled that the lieutenant governor and council does not have the legal authority to actually enact this regulation because it would revoke OHIP's out-of-country travelers program, essentially that the government just doesn't have the actual authority to do that. Evan Rakowski is the director of research and communications with the Canadian Snowbird Association. Obviously pretty happy about this ruling joins me on the line. Hi, Evan. Thank you for having me. What is explain for me, Lieutenant Governor in Council? Was this an order through Council that didn't go through the legislature, and that is the basis of the ruling? That, that's correct. So it actually did go through an order in Council, uh, but what the court found. Health Insurance Act, uh, there's a provision within that legislation which essentially says that none of the regulations that correspond to the Health Insurance Act can actually contradict or violate the Canada Health Act, which this did. So under the Canada Health Act, you have a number of various pillars. One of those pillars is portability, which allows Canadians uh, with every government health insurance plan across every province and territory that when they leave Canada, they still do have some semblance of coverage. And again, the court ruled that uh, the uh, the uh, lieutenant governor and council did not have the legal authority to enact that regulation and to term. So, uh, 
what was your basic uh, opposition to the government position that this was not cost effective and not a program that the government should be administering? So we have actually met with the Minister of Health on a, on a couple of occasions, and the, the program really is uh, not efficiently run, but there are a lot of ways in which they could be able to save all sorts of money on that end. You know, the way in which they administer the program now is if you purchase travel medical insurance, typically the insurance provider will have a deal with OHIP where then they can recoup that reimbursement money for you directly and then apply it to the claim. So the way in which they do that is they have to do this all through paper. They then send the the paper to OHIP and to the uh, Ontario uh, Out-of-Country Travelers Program, and then they then, you know, input this information all on their computer systems. So the fact that they had been doing it this way, again, was causing some, some major issues. Another issue that they were finding is the fact that the reimbursement is between two and $400 per day. Uh, what some were suggesting, what we were suggesting, is they could have gone to a flat rate, and that could have taken a lot of the, the, the work out of the, uh, the process, which, again, would have made it more efficient and more cost-effective. But the government didn't want, to, didn't want to listen to that. They wanted to go ahead with the cuts. And then, again, we had litigation as really our, our only tool in our arsenal, and uh, effective. Evan, I will uh, note that this is a divisional court ruling, and obviously there's uh, more layers to the system. Any indication from the government at this early stage whether or not it will appeal? Sure. Well, this is is just a a first step, and and as you mentioned, it is just the the divisional court. Uh, We have received no word from the Ontario government uh, that they are going to appeal it. You know, we hope that they'll respect the court's decision. Uh, Again, it's ingrained not only in federal legislation and the Canada Health Act. The court also found that in the health insurance legislation, again, those policies, uh, those rights to that out-of-country coverage is protected. So, again, the federal and provincial legislation are quite clear on this, and I really don't think it would be in the best interest of the government to seek an appeal on this issue specifically. Can we just turn our minds to uh, COVID-19 just very briefly? Um, you know, it, it, this ruling comes amid a time when you know people are sort of not thinking about travel, or at least they're thinking differently about travel, and they're thinking differently about what it means to be a snowbird. In terms of your organization, what are you hearing from your members about intentions and whether or not people will leave the country this winter? So the, re- the reactions have really been quite varied. You know, we do have some members uh, who are going to make the trip down south. Uh, the only way you can currently get to the United States uh, in accordance with the current uh, regulations on the border closure is by flying into the United States. So some are going to opt for that option. Others, of course, you know, they're not comfortable with the idea of traveling in the midst of a pandemic, so they're going to be staying put, uh, while others are in a holding pattern. They want to see what's going to happen at the land border crossing, uh, whether or not anything is going to change in that regard, whether an exemption will be made, and then they can make plans based on that. But again, you know, traveling in the midst of a pandemic is a it's quite a difficult thing to uh, to take into consideration. So if someone chose to travel, uh, and considering this ruling this morning, would they be eligible for this coverage, you know, if they were perhaps to contract COVID-19 while in the United States? 
So whether or not you were traveling in the midst of a, of a pandemic, we have always advised our, our members and just the traveling public in general that they should be purchasing travel medical insurance. Uh, what this court ruling will do is it ensures that, again, uh, they, the insurance companies or the individual traveler will be able to apply for reimbursement from OHIP, uh, which again will reduce the cost of the travel medical insurance. You know, we had estimated and we had seen uh, that with this cut in coverage, we were seeing uh, estimates of about seven and a half to eight uh, percent increase on travel medical insurance premiums in the province of Ontario. Uh, with this coverage now reinstated, you're going to see those uh, those prices come down. Evan Rakowski with the Canadian Snowbird Association. I appreciate you joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, last night, the Toronto Blue Jays beat the New York Yankees 4-1 to to clinch a playoff spot for the first time in four years. Here's the manager of the Blue Jays, Charlie Montoyo, saying he's very proud of his players. The tough games and coming back and, and winning the, the games after we had tough losses and, and we keep playing, you know, we keep uh, believing in ourselves. It's, it's awesome. I'm so proud of this group. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm the happiest guy right now. That is the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, Charlie Montoyo, after the Jays clinch that playoff spot. To talk more about the team and to help all of us get up onto the bandwagon, Keegan Matheson is a Blue Jays reporter for Major League Baseball. Welcome to the program, Keegan. Thank you very much. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm just thrilled to wake up to find out that uh, we have uh, a team in the postseason. I think for a lot of people in this city, they've sort of not really been paying attention to Major League. That's right. A lot of Leafs fans and Raptors fans, as those uh, individual playoff stretches have played out over the last couple of months. And it's uh, been an interesting stretch because uh, the Raptors being most recent, uh, as they were eliminated from the playoffs, you see a lot of uh, people turn to baseball and say, hey, how are the Blue Jays doing? And it's... uh, a shortened season, a strange season in every sense. They're not even playing in Toronto. They're down at their AAA stadium in Buffalo, but playoff bound now starting on Tuesday. So a few regular season games left, and then the real fun begins. It's been an amazing season. Tell me a little bit about this team, because I mean, there's obviously a, a couple of stars that people might recognize, but for a, a lot of us, the rest of the players are kind of an unknown. A very young team. You know, when you look back to the Blue Jays' last playoff appearance in 2016, you're thinking a lot of veteran big names. You're thinking of Edwin Encarnacion and of Josh Donaldson, Jose Bautista, the famous names here in Toronto. This is a completely new roster, a completely new look. So you have that young core of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Teoscar Hernandez. But this roster has been overhauled completely. And that's why the Blue Jays are uh, you know, surprising to some people that they've made it. Now, with the expanded playoffs, this is where they should be. You know, they're good enough to be where they are now, but this is a bit ahead of schedule you know, that some people expected because the Blue Jays have been rebuilding. You know, last year, they were not close to the playoffs, and that's fine. That was not the plan, but uh, they certainly made a big jump this season in the 60-game season and now have an opportunity to uh, make a little more noise and surprise some people. Speaking with Keegan Matheson, a Blue Jays reporter for Major League Baseball. Uh, uh, Keegan, uh, help me understand how it was that the shortened season helped put the Jays where they are now. Being such a young team like the Blue Jays, they have such a wide range of outcomes. Uh, A young team like this, when they have an off day, it looks bad. They look young. But when they click and when it all comes together it can look very impressive. So if you have a more veteran team, for example, well, it's a little more predictable. You know what they've done in the league, and you can kind of peg where they're going to fall. But 
with so many young hitters who have not spent a lot of time in the major leagues, it was so difficult to predict. And thankfully for the Blue Jays, more of these young guys clicked than didn't and had some very good years. You know, Hernandez, especially Bo Bichette, some of these young guys in the lineup and adding Hunjin Ryu, their ace left-handed pitcher was a, a big move as well. So Getting that shorter season, you know, it allowed the Blue Jays to just look for that one hot stretch because over 162 games, it's going to tell the truth. You know, hot teams will come down, cold teams will come up, and everything balances out. But over 60 games, if you get hot for a couple of weeks, all of a sudden you find yourself in the playoff picture, and that's what the Blue Jays did. Tell me what uh, who we are facing uh, in this wild card. How, what's the format, uh, and what are our chances? So starting on Tuesday, it'll be a three-game series, which makes it very interesting because if you just need to win two of three, well, a ball bouncing one way or a good game from one player can really change the fate of a series. It's not finalized just yet, but it looks very likely the Blue Jays will be facing the Tampa Bay Rays, a division rival. And manager Charlie Montoyo, that's the organization he spent almost two decades with before coming to Toronto. So this is personal for him. You know, He's got a lot of friends on the other side of the diamond, and the Blue Jays, see the Rays a lot. Now, the Rays have typically had the Blue Jays' number and to a pretty extreme extent. Now, the Blue Jays have handled them a bit better this year and had some wins against them. They will be the underdog. They're not the favorite in this series by any means. But like I said, over three games, a lot can happen. And it does just take a bounce or a dominant performance by a pitcher or a hitter at the plate can really swing things over such a short number of games. I probably should know this, but do the teams travel back and forth? Do they do one, one, one sort of thing? So this one's a complicated picture this year in the playoffs. For this first wild card series, the very first series, they'll be playing in the top seeds home ballpark. So that means the Blue Jays in that scenario would play in Tampa. After that, the league is going to go into more of a bubble format with some teams playing out of Texas and some teams playing out of California just to control the protocols that they've been working on all season long and to protect against you know, any other further positive tests or outbreaks during the playoffs. So this first series will be in the regular ballparks, but after that, for the final three series leading up to the World Series, they go back into the bubble format with the World Series going to be taking place in Texas. All right, Keegan, I'm just about done here. Just help me out here. Uh, give me something. Just give me a little nugget or something I can just throw into a convo in the next couple of days, especially over the course of the weekend, that's going to make people think that I know a ton about this when really I'm just on the bandwagon just last minute like everybody else. <laughs> the the big, uh, you know, the new fan favorite, uh, I would say, in Toronto, his name is Alejandro Kirk. He's a catcher, and you will be able to spot him immediately when you turn on your television. He is listed at five foot eight, 265 pounds, and those might be some generous listings, frankly. But he has been such an incredible addition to this team. Was just added about a week ago. Was one of their top young prospects at 21 years old. Was not expected to be up with the big league team by this point whatsoever. But got the opportunity and has run with it. So he is someone who could make an impact in the playoffs. And if you talk to a Blue Jays fan and mention the name Alejandro Kirk, chances are they will uh, light up and uh, take over the conversation for you at this point. (laughs) Keegan, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks again. Thank you. Take care. That is Keegan Matheson, uh, Blue Jays reporter for Major League Baseball. We have breaking news in the province of Ontario. The government announcing in just the last half hour 
or so that there will be new restrictions on businesses. And the main one is that alcohol must stop being served after 11 p.m. Can't get a drink in a bar or a restaurant after 11. The consumption of said alcohol must be concluded by midnight. Man, you've been nursing that drink. Drink up. Uh, uh, you, you don't you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. That's right. Just working on my my bouncer bits. Uh, and oh, strip clubs must close. So strip clubs must close, and all of this comes into effect as of midnight tonight. This follows a call from a number of physicians and doctors in this province that say that the, gov- the government needs to impose new restrictions. That call uh, extended to other things that the government has not done here like shut down gyms, for example. That is not in here, nor is a closure of banquet halls, which has also been uh, widely called for because we've had situations with wedding gatherings where there have been cases and there have been spread of, there has been spread of COVID-19. Did you know this, that sales of Halloween candy in the United States were up 13% last month over the year before. Now this, keep in mind, is with the realization that probably Halloween trick-or-treating is not happening. Nevertheless, candy sales up double digits. And that is pretty unusual. Normally it's a single-digit increase. Oh, by the way, sales of Halloween chocolate, chocolate alone, that's up over 25%. What does that mean? It means we just all plan to eat the candy ourselves. Because as those numbers go up, and the days get shorter, you might as well just sit yourself down on the couch and eat 30 of those little tiny chocolate bars. Did you know that 30% of Canadians have actually reported gaining weight during just the first few months of COVID-19? My hand goes up. And it's increasingly worrisome. It's no joke because obesity has been shown to be associated with more serious COVID-19 infections. So it's very, very serious. All of this brings up a term that I had not heard before. It's called adjustment disorder. What is that? And do you have one? Well, our resident psychiatrist, pardon me, Marcia Sirota joins me on the line. Hi, Marcia. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm good. I'm worried I have adjustment disorder. (laughs) Well, we'll have to go through the symptoms. (laughs) (laughs) I'm worried that I have every disorder, but let's start with this one. What is an adjustment disorder? Okay, an adjustment disorder is kind of like post-traumatic stress disorder light. You can get it from dealing with any kind of significant stress, and certainly COVID-19 is a very significant stress. And whereas post-traumatic stress disorder requires that you are exposed to a very, very, you know, acutely life-threatening stress, um, with an adjustment disorder, it doesn't have to be acutely or imminently life-threatening, but it can be extremely upsetting, like, you know, having to be at home under quarantine or have all these social restrictions. So I think that probably a lot of people are walking around with an adjustment disorder or even what I call an adjustment disorder plus, which is a stress reaction plus either depression, anxiety, or both. 
And I talked about weight gain because you point out that that is perhaps one of the things that can happen with an adjustment disorder. Right. So uh, when we have an adjustment disorder, it's it's a reaction to stress that is not that is a little bit excessive. So we're going to have like irrational kinds of behaviors that don't necessarily make sense in terms of what's best for us. So we're going to be turning to comfort food. We're going to be sitting on the couch and uh, watching too much TV. We're going to be maybe drinking too much or taking recreational drugs, anything to cope. But of course, these are dysfunctional coping strategies. And you're right, you know, people are gaining weight these, ta- these days because they're turning more to comfort food to um, self-medicate their adjustment disorder. But the problem is that this is the last thing you want when you want to get your health in the optimal position to fight off any infection. You know, I, I think it's a common experience for a lot of people, especially in the spring when this first kind of came upon us and, you know, we all decided that we wanted to make bread and we all made cookies uh, and many of us decided that, well, you know, that midweek bottle of wine is a good idea today because, man, that was a terrible day. And all of those, as you say, you know, aren't necessarily healthy coping mechanisms. So how do we abandon or put those to the side and get a healthy coping mechanism? The first and most important thing is to be in touch with your mental health, is to tune into your emotions, tune into your feelings, tune into your body, and really check out you know, how you're doing. If you find that you're making reckless or careless choices, if you're in, engaging in a lot of you know, compulsive self-soothing behaviors, if you are being negligent toward your wellness, if you're doing things that you know, don't make sense in terms of giving, giving you the best chances to be healthy, then perhaps you have an adjustment disorder. And if you feel that there might be something wrong, the best thing to do is to contact your family doctor or if you have a therapist, speak to your therapist about it. But obviously get help. Talk to somebody and get help so that you can start to feel better sooner and make better choices because right now it's the most important time of all to be making the right kinds of healthcare choices. Listen, I would never say to anyone, don't, you know, contact a health professional or a doctor. But my concern always with doctors is, not all, but in some cases, there is a willingness to go to the pharmaceuticals faster than I'm comfortable with. Well, most of the time, an adjustment disorder is very amenable to talk therapy because it's a stress reaction. It's not a uh, severe depressive illness or a severe anxiety condition. It's a stress reaction. So if you're feeling extremely stressed, the best way to deal with it is by talking about it with a, an experienced and competent professional who knows how to give you some tools for coping with stress in a more constructive manner. And only if you have adjustment disorder plus where it starts going into more serious symptoms of depression and or anxiety, and then you might need um, a brief course of medication. You know, this is not going to be a lifetime of medication, but you might need a few months just to, you know, take the edge off and then get you back on your feet so that you're functional. Because the most important thing is you want to be, you know, in your best emotional and mental state possible so that you can make really good choices in terms of your self-care right now. I think that's such a such a great point. We're speaking with Marcia Sorota, who's a resident psychiatrist right here on this program, which kind of makes her my resident psychiatrist. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, and I'm looking for my bill in the mail anytime now. But as we see these numbers go up, 
And and I think we'll, we'll finish with this. Do you have some thoughts on coping mechanisms, especially now as we head back into a second wave? Because it's got this deja vu to it. And I think for a lot of us, and I speak of myself, is, you know, those negative coping mechanisms that I really kind of went to early in the pandemic, I've been successful in putting those to the side. But now here we go again, and I, I'm concerned that I will revert back to those poor choices as the numbers go up and, you know, the worry goes up. I think the most important thing, Ellen, is to acknowledge that this is hard. You know, so many of us kind of push our feelings away and then we end up coping in these dysfunctional manners. So if we give ourselves permission to say, you know, this is really hard, this is really awful, I really hate this, you know, I I wish this was over, I don't know when it's going to be over, it's really scary, I don't know what's going to happen to me, to my family, to my community, to my finances, to the country's finances. If we give ourselves permission to have our feelings and then we spend time just giving ourselves some some proper self-soothing with self-talk, you know, I can get through this, we can get through this, the family can get through this, the community can get through this, the country can get through this, you know, if we give ourselves that kind of affirmation and if we find that we're really turning to some dysfunctional coping strategies, then that's the time to turn to help. And if maybe you didn't get help before and you're finding that you're really, you know, getting into the blues or feeling really, really worried or very stressed, then there's no shame in talking to somebody. This is unprecedented, unprecedented this time. It's no one has ever experienced anything like this and it's extremely stressful. So if you feel that you're coping poorly, there's no shame in going for help talking to somebody for a little while, maybe taking a a pill for a little while just to get yourself back on track, you know, that will be a really good thing. And for regular people, mindfulness meditation, a little bit of exercise, getting out in the fresh air while it's still nice out, talking to your loved ones, and, you know, those kinds of things are also really good for your mental well-being. Great points, Marcia. Always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the program, and stay safe. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks for having me. It is Marcia Sirota, who's a psychiatrist and our resident psychiatrist here on the Alan Carter radio program. She makes some great points there. And now keep in mind, if you heard some of that and you thought, you know, that's me, I could use some of those supports, but I don't know where to begin. Uh, what I recommend you do is Google CAMH, C-A-M-H, CAMH. And on that web page, there is right there, easy to navigate, uh, access to tools, um, some Q&A, some frequently asked questions. Also, the province has put in place more mental health support. You can get help. Help is available. So don't let it get you down. It's a hard time. And we have to admit that to each other and to ourselves. And I think if we do, then we can handle anything. We've been through it before. We know we can do it. And yeah, it doesn't look great right now. But, you know, maybe these new measures that we have in place, that that's going to get the message through. And as you heard at the beginning of the segment, those measures include the closure of bars at midnight, No more alcohol to be served after 11 p.m. And all strip clubs must close. All of that comes into effect midnight tonight. Can we leave you with this story? A giant African pouched rat named Magawa. Magawa. Yes, 
It is a giant African pouch rat. I don't know what they look like, but I, it's a rat. It has won a top civilian award for animal bravery from a British charity. Magawa is credited with discovering 39 landmines over the past seven years in Cambodia. Now, here's the big thing. Before Magawa, all of the recipients of this award for animal bravery were dogs. So in 2020, it's no longer going to the dogs. It's gone to the rat. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch The Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at noon.